do want to say I thank you for, for those that continue to serve in our ministry. Um, people that are just doing all kinds of things. I appreciate that. Um, appreciate the greeters down the hallway before the services. Thanks for doing that. And, and um, if you have a, a heart to do a ministry like that, we have a lot of, a lot of newer faces and I'm, I'm happy to see you. If, you. if you want to be one of our greeters, I encourage you to talk to Mark and Gina McKenzie. Mark's right back there. His wife Gina is usually there by his side. And you can, uh, that's a ministry that we're always going to be able to help with. And um, one of the things, when, you, when you're down that hallway, I do want to mention this, um, as we bring up greeters, um, we're going we're gonna to start doing a better job of, of locking that door down there. We're doing a lot of things to just try to shore up our, our, our security of different things. You're probably aware that all of our children are down there in that hallway. Um, if you're a children's worker and you haven't completed your background check, we need you to do that. Um, trying to push the children in that hallway. This hallway um, will be locked after probably about 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So if you happen to be late, now we don't want you to be late. But if you happen to be late, you have to come to the front door. Keep that in mind. So if you arrive at like, you know, 10.59 and the door's locked, we're just saying, well, come on around to the front door. So just make sure you get in here. You know, do what you got to do to get in the door. And, and um, it's a joy to serve together as a body. So what did you want to do as a child? Me? You probably know this. I wanted to be a lumberjack. See the beard? Yeah. I wanted to be a lumberjack when I was a kid. When I, when I remember as a, as a, just as a boy, you know, my dad could go out there and cut down big trees and split logs. And I was like, man, I want to do that. So all, all the time when I was growing up, I wanted to be out in the woods cutting down trees. That was, that was my dream. What was yours? What was yours? One of the things I didn't anticipate is the things I ended up doing in life. And it's funny how that happens. Um, one of those is a coach. You know, I've been a coach on several different occasions, and, and I'm probably not a real good coach because I just don't have that killer spirit in me, you know? I just, I'm like one of these coaches that, that makes sure every single person on the team played equal number of minutes, okay? Which some parents really like that. Some didn't, you know? It just kind of depends on where your child was on that skill spectrum, you know? But every one of my kids would all get in, and I just, I wanted to do that. I remember one particular, one young man that, that I coached in basketball. And, and he played his, you know, 23 and a half minutes or whatever it was that I calculated that needed to each play. And, and I brought him out, and he was, you know, one of the worst players on the team. And, and he's sitting there right next to me on the bench. And I could see he's got this, like, look of just anguish on his face. You know, he's, he's almost in tears. He just, he's laboring over something. You know, I can just see that. I mean, he's, he's kicking himself because, you know, he's the kid that, you know, is like shooting in the wrong basket, you know, and running with the ball underneath his arm like a football, you know, doesn't think the dribble. And I mean, he's just, he's just really upset. I can just tell you. His body language is just screaming into my ear how sad he is. And so, you know, I'm there coaching the game, and I said to him, I said, hey, whatever your name is, um, I don't remember right now, but I'm sure I did then. I said, I, I said, I... You did fine. You did fine. Don't worry. You're getting better. He said, you know, coach, that's not what it is. I said, what's on your mind? What is it? You know, you, you, you shot that time. That was at the wrong basket. But, but you did shoot. You know, that, that's good. That's an improvement. He said, no, no, no. I, I just can't really decide. I said, what, what's, what's going on? You know, the game's happening. We're having this conversation, you know. He said, I, I just can't decide. Do, do I want to be a professional football player or a professional basketball player? I just can't decide. This is really what he said to me. I'm like, are you serious? Totally clueless, you know? Death of a dream. I don't know what he's doing now, but I can't imagine that he's having a real successful ball career. 
Today I want to talk about our dreams, though. I want to talk about your dream. You know, because we all kind of share a similar dream. And today I want to start out and um, I want to kill that dream. I want to kill it. Today, my my goal is to bring about the death of your dream. Because this is a a dream that that is very dangerous in the life of a believer. And in reality, if you allow this dream to die, it's going to be the end of a nightmare for you. Okay? The dream that I think many of us chase after as believers is this. That I'm going to live in this world... In such a way that I'm going to please Christ and I'm going to have a successful adventure in this world. It's a dream that many believers have. I can follow the Lord. I can follow His Word. I can do what God calls me to. And I can have my best life now. I can bring those things together into my world today And it's all going to work out great. Listen, I want to kill that dream. I want that, I want you to understand the reality. Because the truth is, if you allow that dream to die, it'll be the end of a nightmare. Because that is not the way that this world operates. You live enough years, you live enough years. And you find that this world has a lot of struggles to it. Marriages do end. Jobs are lost. Sickness comes your way. Injury happens. Your career goals are not achieved. Your yard doesn't look the best. You gain 20 pounds. Your golf game continues to stink. And your team loses their starting quarterback. Wow. The death of a dream. I'm sorry, Brock. I'm sorry. This is reality. But here's the rest of the story. There is joy. There is joy. Listen to what Paul said. You know this verse. It's in Philippians chapter 1. You'd be wise to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You see, Paul understood about the dream that we all are born with. It is part of our nature that we try to find satisfaction on this earth. It's part of our nature, folks. You were made in such a way because we are cursed by sin. You were made in such a way that you are pursuing this joy. You are pursuing this satisfaction. But you are also here on this planet... That is cursed. And so suffering comes our way. And at some point, the call is for us to sort of look up from the dust that's rising all around us as the world is crushing down and realize that that dream is actually a nightmare. And if you try to climb that ladder, you will see it goes nowhere. Instead, to live is Christ. To live as Christ. And someday when this life does end, there will be gain. But until then, we stay in Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, I I want us to see this. Uh, Go with me there, please. Um, I want to read at verse 27 through the end of the chapter. 
Paul writes this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him. It doesn't end there. It should be granted to you. And I know where I know I'm going to run out of time. Let me just say this. This word granted... It doesn't just mean to give. It doesn't just mean to receive. This is to be given a prized possession. This is to be given. This is when when a superior gives an underling something that he doesn't deserve. This is a blessing that is given. A grant. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer For his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And now hear that I still have. I want to talk about suffering today. I want to talk about suffering. I want to understand suffering. I want us to see what suffering is really about. And I hope that by the time we're done. We will see from the authority of God's word. That there is joy for us as we suffer. And that suffering is part of God's plan. And that that God uses suffering in our life. So let's start there. Let's start with God. Let's start with God. Where we should always start. Let's start with God. I had a good friend say to me this week, you know God's ultimate goal. His ultimate goal for man is fellowship with Him. That's what God is working towards. God's working towards us to be in fellowship with God. And so what that means is that He brings things into our life for our own good. He brings things into our life that will bring us to fellowship with Him. You understand that? God wants relationship with you. Just like your parents hopefully wanted relationship with you. Just like your spouse hopefully wants relationship with you. Just like your kids hopefully want relationship with you. God wants relationship with you. So we're here on this sin-cursed earth. And I like to say this. So God hijacks suffering. God hijacks suffering. This world includes suffering. It does. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, to ruin your dream. But wake up from the nightmare, folks. This world includes suffering. It does. But God hijacks it. God takes that suffering and uses it in His plan. He uses it in His plan for His glory. For His glory. For our joy. For our very joy. God brings and allows suffering for our joy and His glory and that all of mankind might be open to the Gospel. Let's see that here in this passage and and hopefully you'll grasp it as much as God has grasped me with this truth. This week, He says in verse 27 some things, but, but I want to skip down to the word in verse 29, and I want to just quickly run through a doctrine of suffering. 
Okay, I'm going to be real quick here. All right? First of all, suffering. Can I just tell you that it's real? And I said, well, that's, that's a stupid thing to say. Oh, really? The majority, maybe not majority, but a high percentage of people across this planet do not believe that suffering is even real. That's what the Buddhists believe. That's what really the Hindus believe in a roundabout way. The suffering isn't real. Let me share a verse with you. Okay, put it up on the screen here for me. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so to test the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering is real. He says, you've been grieved by various trials. Peter writes this to people who are under great suffering for their faith. It's real. And many of us, all of us, have or will experience suffering. And it comes in many different forms, I know. Ultimately, we can be persecuted for Christ. Maybe that's that's the extreme of suffering. But that's not all the suffering there is. We suffer against sin. You know that battle, right? I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do do. Paul writes in Romans 7, the suffering we have against sin, the suffering you have for a a loved one who's, who's running away from Christ, you know that suffering, right? You're up through the night praying and anguished over this one that you just want to see come back to the Lord. That's suffering. A friend who's running away from the Lord, who's straying far from Christ, and you are burdened for them to tears. You take a righteous stand at work, and it costs you. You take a righteous stand in your taxes, and it costs you. It's all suffering. This is suffering. It's real. It's real. Secondly is this, and I'll go to Romans 8 for this, for the creation was subjected to futility. The creation, look at that now. The creation was subjected to futility, emptiness. Not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it and hoped that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's the result, suffering is the result of the fall. This is the doctrine of suffering. It's real. It's the result of the fall. It's evidence that this world is cursed by sin. Actually, cursed by God. That's what this passage is showing us. It's cursed by God. To demonstrate the sinfulness of this world. You see, we suffer here to drive us to the Lord. Without suffering. Without suffering, that wouldn't be God allowing us to not grope for Him. It would actually be an absence of love. It would be hate and apathy for God to just give you a smooth road to hell. But God allows suffering to demonstrate to us that this world is cursed. It's cursed. It wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't God's plan that children would die. It wasn't God's plan that we would die. This wasn't God's plan. But man rebelled against God. And Adam is our leader of all of humankind. 
he sinned and brought death to this world. It's a result of the fall. And thirdly is this. Suffering is used, and this is our main point for today. Suffering is used in the plan of God for the joy of his children. Now this is hard for me to even fathom. And it's hard for me to bring to you. Because all of us want, we go to almost any effort we can to avoid suffering. Do we not? We go to almost any effort we can to avoid suffering or to avoid suffering for people that we control. I mean, I, I know as a father what it is to do whatever I can to keep my children from suffering. I know that. And if I can understand that as a sinful man, Imagine the anguish that God has for us. And this is why those two lenses that we referenced last week about our Heavenly Father. Listen to the two lenses that God has. God has a very small lens where He can see our suffering and can feel it with us. That's God looking very close into your life and seeing very close what's happening and can feel that with you, can weep with you when you suffer. But God can pull back to the wide lens as well. And he can see the way all this works in God's plan. So verse 27, let's let's go there. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Listen, this is the issue right here. The issue is the first phrase of verse 27. Everything that Paul says from here out is dependent upon that phrase. And we need to know what it means. Okay? Now, depending on your translation, what you're holding right now, it translates the the one Greek word in a lot of different ways. Now, we don't usually talk a whole lot about Greek words, but this one, we need to. Okay? And let me just talk to you about this word that the ESV translates, let your manner of life. The NIV says, conduct yourselves. The King James Version says, let your conversation. Let me show you this word in Greek. I'll put it up on the screen. There it is. Okay? Polyotropne is what it is. And and it's inside of that word is the word polis. P-O-L-I-S. Now in Greek, when you jam another word onto another one, a lot of times you drop the ending consonant. That's what happened on P-O-L-I-S. They jam this other word onto it and the S drops out. Polis. P-O-L-I-S. Does that sound familiar? You ever heard of Annapolis? You ever heard of Indianapolis? What does that Annapolis mean on the end there? What's it mean, polis? Anybody? City. That's what it means. See, this is a special word. Paul only uses it twice. And what it means, Paul says here, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he is literally saying is, you be a good citizen. That's what he's saying. You be the kind of citizen that you're called to be. And what's so wonderful about this is Paul tells us, the next page over, chapter 3, turn with me. Look at chapter 3, verse number 20. Paul tells us what he means by this. Verse number 20 says, but our citizenship, 320, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior. This is why if you're holding a New Living Translation, it says, verse 27 says, live as citizens of heaven. 
So go back to chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, Only let your manner of life, or in other words, live as citizens of heaven. Boy, that has a lot of meaning. That's rich with meaning. We're on this earth. We live here. But we are now aliens here. We don't belong here anymore. You might say, but well, I was born here. I was born on this earth. My parents were born here. I was raised here. I spent 25 years here on this earth chasing the things that earthlings chase after, running after the things that earthlings run after. I have been, I've been reared here on this earth, and that's all very true. But guess what? You've been reborn if you're in Christ. If you're in Jesus today, the gospel has done a miracle. You understood that you were a sinner, rebelling against God. And so repentance over your sin, you look to the cross of Christ, where Jesus died in place of sinners. And he died for your sin, and he died to your sin. And so that when you died with him, you died to your original birth. My old man, he's there with Jesus on the cross. And I've been reborn. And I'm not a citizen of this earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. See, that's the death of that dream, the end of the nightmare. We are citizens of heaven. So it's not going to work here. You're not going to fit here. You're going to be different. Everybody else at work is going to think differently. Everybody else at, at your class and your school is going to operate in a different way than you. They're going to use different words. They're going to run after different things. They're going to pursue things that you don't pursue. Because a miracle has happened. You've been reborn. And you aren't just a citizen of this earth. You're an ambassador here. God has you here for a reason. Oh, that's such an important truth, isn't it? We are to conduct ourselves as a citizen and live as a citizen of heaven. Now, not only that, but let's keep reading because there's more in verse 27. I told you it's rich. Only let your manner of life, so there'll be a good citizen of heaven. But Paul gives a measurement of our citizenship. Paul gives us a measuring device. He says, you know, here's a yardstick. Now, now you measure out your citizenship. You measure it out. You see it there? You see the measuring rod that he gives? You be a citizen of heaven at this level. Let, let's measure it. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now be careful. Listen, be careful. There's heresy near. There's heresy, that's false teaching, very near to us right now. 
See, this would be heretical. This would be heretical. If I said to you, you must be good enough to work your way to heaven. If I said to you, you've got to, you know, you've got to walk enough old ladies across the street, you've got to go to church enough, you've got to give them whatever, okay? If I gave you a list and said, you've got to do all those things so that you will go to heaven, you all would run out of the room or, or carry me out and throw me out the front door, right? Because that would be heresy. Well, let me give you another form of that same heresy. Okay, now that you're in Jesus, you've got to live your life for him and pay him back. You've got, to pay, you've got to be such a good boy that Jesus, after your 70 years, says, yep, he's worthy. He's worthy now. Listen, the gospel is by grace, through faith alone. You don't work to earn it. And you don't pay, like, you know, in some kind of installment plan after receiving and pay off some debt. That is not the gospel. So you see, there is heresy near here. So what is Paul saying? We are to live, let your manner of life, we are live as a good citizen, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, let me ask you, what is the worth of the gospel of Christ? What is the worth of the gospel of Christ? I got a verse here, I wrote it down somewhere. It's from 1 Peter. There it is, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Listen to what Peter says. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, you were ransomed, he says. This is 1 Peter 1, 18 19. You were ransomed, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. What is the worth of the gospel? What is the worth of Christ Jesus? What is the worth of Christ Jesus? The answer is infinite. Is it not? The worth of Christ Jesus, infinite. There is no limit to his worth. And so Paul says this. Let's wrap up this phrase understand what it means. He's saying, you live as a citizen of heaven while you're on the earth. And you live your life in a way that is worthy of the infinite payment of Christ. You know what that means for you and I? We're in Jesus. We're in Christ. There is nothing, there is nothing too great for me to experience in my relationship with Christ. There is no area of my life that is off limits. I am a citizen of heaven. And so my whole life Every single part of me. You see, the worth is infinite. And I'm, I'm finite. I'm not infinite. So everything I have is His. That's what Paul is saying. There is no area of your life. There's no secret compartment. There's no door that nobody else is allowed to look into. There is no area of our life that isn't His. No area. This is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. This is what it means. This is the miracle of the new birth. I mean, we can make a list, but we won't be here long enough to list every single piece because it's infinite that he has. You, me, we live as citizens of heaven saying, Christ... He he can't just have some of me. No. 
He is my life, Paul says in the book of Colossians. Christ is my life. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Does that make a little more sense now? For me to live is Christ. He gets it all. He's earned it all. He has it all. And listen, he has our very best in mind. So let's go back to that passage. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come, so now Paul's going to give these you know, extremes, whether I come and see or I'm absent. So everywhere in between, okay? No matter what, I may hear of you that you are, and now what's going to happen is Paul's going to walk through a couple things here that, that mark us who are living as citizens of heaven, okay? This is the marks that Paul's saying should be there, all right? That, now listen, you don't, you, don't, you don't do these things so that then you're a citizen of heaven. When your identity is there, when you're in Christ, this is what it will look like, okay? Number one is this. Notice he says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, Standing firm. Now, standing firm, for those of you who are prior military, this is a military term. This is a Roman soldier, okay? Standing firm. He does not leave his post until properly relieved. He stays there, is what this Roman soldier does. Paul's using a military term. He's speaking to a many military um, many of the members of his audience that he's writing to are from the military, and he says, like a soldier now, you stand firm. You're an alien. You're a citizen of a heaven. So you stand firm, because your commander said, stand firm. Look what he says. Standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm for what? Standing firm for the gospel. Standing firm for the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Okay, the gospel can have a couple different definitions in our Bible. We've got to stand firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay, as living as good citizens. The gospel can mean a couple different things. Primarily, it means the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. I hope you put your trust in the gospel. If you haven't, you should do that today. Jesus died for you. To bring you life. That is the gospel. But the gospel also can mean, it can mean the, it can contain the truth that we know about God. You see, without the truth that we know about God, the gospel, meaning what Christ did on the cross, doesn't mean anything. If we strip away who God is from the cross, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, you realize that there were literally tens of thousands of people who died the death of crucifixion within probably a hundred-year period of Jesus. You know that, right? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of people being crucified in that day. So there's got to be something special about this death of Jesus, right? Of course there is. That's the gospel. The truth of who God is. Stand firm for the truth of God. Stand firm for God's holiness. 
Stand firm for God's word. Stand firm for God in your marriage. Stand firm for God in your family. Stand firm for God in, in how you operate as on this earth, as citizens of heaven. Stand firm. And then Paul goes, he, he now changes his metaphor. He goes from military to the athletic field. Stand firm like a soldier. And now he goes to striving together. Now this is another pretty cool word. And, and what it represents, what, what I picture is like, you know that thing called a scrum? And rugby, I think it is. Okay, I haven't played a whole lot of rugby in my life. But, you know, where you got all those guys, like they're all linked together, like, they're all trying to push forward, okay? That's what this term is. This is a team coming together for a purpose. Paul says, stand firm and strive together. One spirit, I believe that's the Holy Spirit, we all have the Spirit of God. One mind, it's literally one soul, is what it says there in in verse number 29, okay? It's literally one soul. He says there, I'm sorry, verse 27. Standing firm in one spirit, in the Spirit of God, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is so important for aliens. Listen, listen, this is so important for aliens. You've heard me say this before. It's because I really believe it. You see, we don't stay in church all week. We come here together. We all point at Jesus. Isn't he awesome? Look what he did for us. Doesn't he love us? Let me tell you about him. Let's worship him together. And then 12 o'clock comes and we all leave. We all leave. And we go with us, we pack our bag, and we walk out with that bag, with a suitcase. Because we're just going to visit, not that this is heaven, by the way, but we're just going to visit out there. And out in the world, we're not with other believers, citizens of heaven, we're with citizens of this earth. And you know what comes. You know what comes out there. But I don't want us to be afraid. But you know what comes. What comes for citizens of heaven who are just living on this planet? And if we sat in this room for 40 hours, well, for 120 hours in a week, it would happen to us as well in here. And it's suffering. Look what he says. Verse 28. And not frightened, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened by anything. So think about what that means. As you live as an alien, okay, and you are a, you are a citizen of heaven and you're, and you're on this earth and you're surrounded by worldlings, not frightened by anything. Take my job, take my security, take my safety, take my health, take my future, take my marriage, take my honor, take my respect, take anything. I will not be frightened. That's what Paul is saying. I am a citizen of heaven. The worst you can do is kill me. And I'm not frightened by that. Do you see the the resolute courage that Paul has? I know what you're thinking. Well, what if I have to suffer? What if they make fun of me? 
What if there comes a day in our country where we have lived for 200 years with just about absolute freedom as Christians? What if that ends? Because it could. For the vast majority of Christians in all of history, it has. What if that ends? What Paul's going to say is if it does, no. When it does, when it does, when suffering comes, we're blessed. See it. This, what is this? Well, the thing that you could be frightened by. What you standing firm and striving together in the midst of suffering, that's what this is. This is a clear sign. You, living as a citizen of heaven on this earth, no matter what comes, I'm not frightened. I'm going to strive and I'm going to stand. This is a clear sign to two groups of people. Look at it. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. When we endure suffering with joy in Christ, not faked, But Christ brings us the joy of the Spirit. And we're living for Christ as as aliens on this planet. It's a sign to people of their destruction. I'm back in Peter, okay? Listen Listen to what Peter has to say. I wrote this down somewhere. I might have to turn to it. I don't have it here. Peter says... That the, the, the world around us, those that, that are living outside of Christ, are living out the destruction of their passions. And so Philippians, Paul says, it's a clear sign to them of their destruction. Us living, firmly standing, coming together and striving together, is a sign to, to people who are opposing Christ of their destruction. But that's not the only person this is a sign for There's a second person this is a sign for. Read it. It's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Can you let that seep in to understand what Jesus is saying to us? As we suffer, yes, living as aliens on this planet, and and challenge comes our way, and we stand and strive, It tells the whole world around, they're outside of Christ. And it tells you that you're in Him. That you're in Him. When you suffer for Christ and stand and strive, it tells you, it's God's Spirit saying to you, you are His. You are His. And that's why it is that Paul says, verse number 29, it has been granted to you. This is a blessing. This is a blessing. I used to have a professor that, that, that explained this word. It's kind of weird, but explain this word granted this way. There's two words that, that could mean basically this, this very similar thing. There's the word give in English, and there's the word grant in English. He said, I can give you a cheeseburger. I like McDonald's, so this works for me. He says, I can give you a cheeseburger. That's not what this word is. But I'd have to grant you the whole McDonald's corporation. 
I would have to give you a blessing that you don't deserve. And that is a wonderful blessing for you. And Paul's saying that that blessing suffering. The granted for you to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You should go back and read Acts chapter 16 what Paul's talking about here. When he suffered when he suffered in the city of Philippi and they saw him and it's going to come their way. So what are we saying here? Am I, am I suggesting that this week that we go out and find the biggest, baddest dude we can find and walk up to him and poke him in the eye and say, I'm doing that for Jesus and let him beat you up? No. No. I'm not saying that. Peter, a matter of fact, says, if you suffer for doing wrong, don't expect to get anything but anything from God. If you're being a jerk and people persecute you, treat you badly, expect nothing from God. That's what Peter says. So what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting you do the one thing in this whole passage that you're told to do. You're told to do one thing here. There's one verb telling you what to do. It's not go suffer. It's not go proclaim Christ. It's not even striving together. It's not standing for Christ. You know what the one thing you're told to do here is? Live as a citizen of heaven. That's the one thing you are told to do in all three of those verses. Live as a good citizen of heaven. In other words, be an alien and a stranger in this world. You see, it's the end of a nightmare. Don't try to live for here. Live out your identity. You just go do what we know to do. You go be who we know to be. And when suffering comes, God will sustain you. When challenge comes, God will sustain you. Don't run from it. Don't be frightened. Live as a good citizen of heaven. Let's pray for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need you in this because we are still stuck in this body of flesh which tries to run, tries to resist, Lord, is willing to, to pay any price to avoid suffering. So we need your spirit to work, the one spirit that we all have. Lord, I pray that we would live in the victory of your spirit. Lord, that we would live as good citizens here in a world that opposes you. We would chase after you. We would pursue intimacy with you, community with other believers, and allow you to use us to influence our world, Lord, come what may. Whether it be physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering, whatever may come, that your spirit will bring us the joy, the peace that allows us to stand and to strive.